remind yourself of how you felt, reprogram your brain and find, Andrew, you made really good points too, I think we all did, about finding something else to get satisfaction from instead of relying upon food for that satisfaction. As you eat. (laughs) What's up, guys? Welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Gear with coaches Skip Hill, Andrew Berry, myself, Scott McNally, and all of our programming is brought to you by you. No matter where we go, no matter where we're at, thank you to Patreon because you guys are helping to make this thing happen. We're brought to you by uh, truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK over there to get some savings on high-quality third-party tested supplements. Plus, using our code THINK helps to support our programming. We all need protein, right? Get some protein powder from one of the best companies out there. And we're brought to you by supplementsource.ca for Canadians. You get great deals on top-name brand supplements for a really good discounted price. We've got a bunch of stuff we're going to talk about. It, it, and it doesn't sound like a big topic, but it's an important one. All three of us get asked this is how much time do we need to rest between sets? So we're going to talk about some of the things that go beyond that. We've got some listener questions. And if you guys have questions, then definitely comment below because we need a bunch of questions for the next shows. But to, to start us out, we needed to talk about this men's wellness thing. And then we're going to go from there straight into, it doesn't sound like a huge topic, but I I do think this is an important one. We get questions about it all the time. And that is um, how much rest time do we need between sets? But let's talk about this men's wellness thing first. (laughs) Who who wants to go? I said before, I've got jokes because I'm a sarcastic kind of guy, but I have to be careful because I don't want to, you know, trip the algorithms here. So I'm going to try to be. Yeah. Well, I'll say this. I think the people that started posting about it, they knew it was going to create a big storm and get a lot of likes and probably drive traffic to their pages. So yep. it was, I think in their, the people who did it, it was more of a situation of uh, oh. how can I capitalize on this information that not a lot of people know about yet, because it's not an IFBB NPC thing. As you can see here, Tyler is saying, um, that you know they're very happy with the divisions they currently offer and so am i i don't think we need any more divisions as as it is at this point and i do think that if there were people like this that wanted that division there's there's so few and i think the ipb npc makes decisions based off money and how <laughs> right. much they can make and i just i just don't think I think it might create some kind of a negative backlash that might cause them to lose eyeballs and to lose attention spans to the IFBB NPC. I don't think they would make a decision like that at the expense of being quote unquote inclusive. Hmm. Man, that was about, and I applaud you for that. That was incredibly politically correct. That, that, I mean, you touched on everything that was, because I couldn't agree more. I've been taking classes to run for politics, so. Okay, fair enough. That's not where we want to go, or where I want to go. And I keep messing with my sweatshirt because it looks like I have a button down on because it's folded over like that. Is that just me? You just need to fill the chest up. Very quickly. Yeah, if I had a bigger chest. You need some extra muffins. You must be depleted right now. (laughs) It would would open up like this. Anyway. Yes. Okay, I want to go down this path. I want to go down the path of everyone turning it first because everything gets turned into something political that's number one so then people start emoting you you've made the the best point i think and that is it was put out there really as an emotional topic to get people fired they were i mean it's 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 fodder in a sense uh, or that's what they're trying to provide to foment and get people worked up because interaction 
and coming back to those posts is huge, you know, for social media. And it worked brilliantly. Number one, it was poor information. Well, it wasn't poor information to start, but it was left a bit ambiguous so that people could interpret it potentially as this may have been an IFBB NPC thing, like we're going to be invaded in the United States by these transgender <laughs> that, people. That's the way they're like trying to. Sure. Yeah. It, exactly. I, I got a vibe that, that as well. Okay. And that is the issue that I have with it. I am. Am I the most socially liberal person on the panel? Probably, right? Of the three of us. Mm, yeah. I mean, I mean I I'm not know, trying man. to pin anybody, I'm, anybody I'm all down. To let, I'm all for letting people do what they want to do with their own bodies. So I, okay, fair enough. You know, okay, thanks. so, and that's why I, I put that out there. And yet, and I don't usually talk about the political point, but I, I want to make this point. I vote Republican. And I make no bones about saying it. I don't get political. I do on my personal page sometimes. But I don't get political. I try not to mix the two. Business and politics, business and religion, business and social uh, events. It's just a, or social issues is a bad combination. You just, if you know anything or have any type of business acumen at all, you try not to mix them. The reason did. that I say, I don't. But, 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 here's, but here's my point. Because I'm going to come at this from a more a liberal stance from a social standpoint i just want to make it clear before everyone loads up the comments with me being a snowflake and and all those no they know, already unsubscribed they're gone we don't have that, to worry about yeah that. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> that comments. um but i am socially liberal i do come at it much the same way you do scott i just don't care i'm apathetic to it it doesn't impact me directly so i don't care i also don't think that things like that ruin the world uh, though many people do. I just simply disagree with that. So my perspective was, I just, what? why is everybody getting so worked up? Are you going to get beat by them? Is there some fear that, <clears throat> that, were you thinking about going into this division and they're taking attention away from you? I, I don't understand it. Number I, one, I, it's, people it's, are it's actually upset. Are they, hold What's on. That? I haven't been following along. Are There are people upset about this. Oh, very. They're okay. emoting strongly. You're yeah. kidding me. Huh. Now, it pulled back a little bit when it was made clear again, because okay. it was clear, I thought, from the start, that this is not an IFBB NPC thing. This is a Brazil, or it's like the Romania show, or it's in Brazil. It's it's something like that. So what they're doing halfway across the world, and two people may show up. I don't know. No one is losing a trophy here. We may be losing 10 minutes for an extra division. I don't know. Uh, so I guess I just don't see the uproar. I don't get worked up over things that don't directly involve me. And my thing is this, and I responded very similar to this. I'm paraphrasing on, on Ron, because I saw it on Ron Harris's post. We are a group of freaks. We like that freak thing, that freak status. We want to, even if we don't look like a freak, we think we are. And there's a lot of that in this industry. We think very highly of very ourselves. Very our Absolutely. Uh, arrogant. Quite, quite arrogant, really. So a group of freaks get together and we go, whoa, easy. We're just a little too freaky. We're not going to let you join in on the freak show. Yeah, yeah. It's so, it's so bizarre. It's highly hypocritical. And is going to not look at us any different or differently. They're going to look at us like the freaks and, and the subculture to a certain degree, subculture, not as much as it was 20 or 30 years ago, but it's still not normal to the average person anyway. So it's not like this addition 
or this additional division, even if we were to skyrocket and take off and every show in the United States had a, you know, it went, it started small, like the physique division and it grew into, you know, this big competitive thing. The mainstream isn't going to look at us any differently than they do now. So it's not going to change from, from that vantage point. But I agree with Andrew in the end, I don't see it as a, a bonus or, or this huge moneymaker from a promoter standpoint. And the promoters are motivated by money. It's a business, love it or hate it. It's a business divisions get added. If they see the ability to make more money and physique did it and it has taken off and it's turned into a great division. Uh, even before that bikini, uh, wellness, it, they've all become, they know what they're doing. If they see the advantage from a financial standpoint, they'll, they'll, institute a division like that but i'm with you andrew i don't see that that's a potential money maker down the line i do not think it'll happen so everybody's getting worked up over what absolutely nothing maybe it's just a diversion from from kelsey and taylor i don't know because everybody's worked up about that too i don't know what that is either i don't want to know i don't want to know I'm, I'm good where <laughs> everybody I'm else knows but scott <laughs> i'm good with that i'm good with that um Okay, yeah, so I, we'll see how this thing continues to unfold for Brazil, but apparently it's not happening in the U.S. Uh, let's move on to that topic, though. Hey, what's up, guys? I have a lot of people who reach out to me on a regular basis who are trying to more effectively reach their goals. One of the biggest mistakes I see people make is that they're not getting enough protein. And there's only so much chicken breast we can eat through the day, but we can easily add a high quality protein supplement to boost those numbers up. True Nutrition has just about every protein powder you can think of from high quality weight isolate. If you don't tolerate lactose, then you could use their beef isolate or you could use their pea protein isolate if you don't eat animal products. They literally have everything you think of. I believed in them for like a decade before they advertised with us. And they, they never went out of their way to say like, hey, we want to promote our stuff through you. I literally asked them because it's a company that I believe in. And at the end of the day, I want to see you guys reach your goals as effectively as possible. So if you use our code, think at true nutrition, you'll get some savings. You'll help to support our programming and you'll get some high quality products to more effectively reach your goals faster. All right. <clears throat> you guys want to move on? Rest time. Yeah. Which really is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was taking a rest right now. Um, Maybe we should just start the show with that. We can just skip right over that part. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. So, you know, it is a topic that has come up. Uh, you know what? And it's the people who are really, let me put it this way. Oh, no, I, I don't want to start it that way. Well, so I'll, just, I'll say just say attention to detail people, right? People yeah. that are just so type A that they need to see it written out in front of them. You know, you do this set for 20, 10 to 12 reps and then you rest 75 seconds and then you do set two, 75. Is that what you're going at? People that need to follow a program to a T? Yeah, let me just say that. So I think that talking about uh, talking about the rest time between sets, it's something that I think it's easy for us in this Internet age as coaches to not specifically tell people. You know what I mean? Because it, it, it in the old days, I think of my first coach. He was actually in the gym with me and it, it would those little details. They're easy to see. And I think that, you know, we, we try to fill in all the holes. Skip, you've taught me a lot about making sure that you don't assume anything, but to assume like rest times, it's, it's something I hadn't always asked people, Hey, how much rest time are you taking between sets? But it can make a huge difference in your workout can make a huge difference in the amount of reps you're going to get in that next mm -hmm. set. I'd love to break that down with you guys. Yeah, and I think what happens is we put a black and white measure on it. Or people want a black and white measure, and that's a bad way to go about it. 
yeah. because there are too many variables to factor in how much time you need between sets. And off the top of my head, you know, the, the these are just the, the few that are coming off the top of my head. Uh, whether the exercise, how demanding the exercise is, leg extensions versus, you know, leg presses or squats, um, you know, cable curls versus, or, or I, maybe biceps isn't a good example, but uh, bent rows versus uh, pullovers or th- that sort of thing. There, I think ultimately, I try to tell my clients that it, it comes down to breathing because yes, we're, we can split hairs, but I think we can all agree that if you're going just playing too fast and you're kind of not circuit training, but you know, the, the rest between sets, I, let's, as an example, and, and this is hard, it's going against what I said earlier about the time, but if I'm trying to take 30 seconds in between sets, I don't know, my ass is going to be smoked. I'm not, I'm going to be, not be able to train each set at a hundred percent because my, arguably my lungs are going to fail before anything else. Uh, and that doesn't matter. I mean, I don't even know if I could, maybe I could do leg extensions or, or curls 30 seconds apart, but the vast majority of compound exercise, that's not going to happen. And on the other end of the spectrum, then you have, you know, seven minutes or five minutes between sets. We've seen power lifters who will sit there for a very long time between sets, but they're focused on numbers yeah. versus, you know, hypertrophy and, and arguably conditions. So it's a different training style and they're going to have those differences in powerlifting, they're going to be different than us in bodybuilding. So I always tell my clients, basically, when your heart rate has come down and your breathing is back in a normal range where you're able to go into the next set without coming up short on breath. And that takes that's a very complex answer to someone who doesn't have a lot of experience because they don't know. They have to find out what that is. And with the exercises constantly changing, your carb intake, uh, you know, there's not even just carb, but calorie intake and everything else. It it it's going to change over time. May change from workout to workout. But if your breathing has returned, your heart rate has come down, then get back into the next set. Basically, as soon as you can, without that next set being compromised. Is that you guys on, I, agree or what yeah? I mean, I would, I would no, I'd agree 100. I would say you know, for a novice trainer, a quick and dirty test is to you know follow the advice you're saying. And then if they do their next set with the same weight or roughly the same weight and they don't get the same amount of reps or they feel like they fatigue somewhere like in that six, seven, when they're trying to get 10 to 12, you know, you probably didn't rest long enough. That That's mm-hmm. kind of like, you know what I'm saying? And, and we're not talking sure. like if you're like, you know, into the fourth or fifth exercise of your routine, I'm talking like you're on your first exercise, you've done a set and you've, let's say your coach would tell you, yeah, about 90 seconds or so. And if you wait that 90 seconds and then you try to replicate that previous set and you're coming up short, it's probably because you didn't rest long enough, whether from a neurological standpoint, a muscular standpoint, something in there needs just a little bit more time for you to be fully recuperated to give it a 100% effort again. And what are those cues? Like as an example, the first one that comes to mind is if you're going along and I think we've all done this, you know, I've got one rep, I've got two reps, I've got three reps and we have this type of tempo and all of a sudden you get to seven and that rep just wants to die in the middle. And then all of a sudden that one rep is taking twice as long to get, then I call it falling off the cliff. And it's just something that I've said to my wife over the years or I'll get up off the get up off the exercise and I'll have my headphones and I won't say anything. I'll just be like this. And she knows, you know, that the fatigue is setting in. I may be moving too quickly or 
it's closer to the end of my workout where I'm just starting to fall off. The energy reserves aren't there. And when the energy reserves aren't there, do you have the same contractile force? You don't. So then you have to question you. I, I see over here in the comment section, Brandon says, you know, he does 90% of his sets at 30 seconds. Uh, That's pretty I, short. I'm not saying, I'm not saying really Jay short. Cutler's wrong. I'm just saying there's no way I'm doing that. And, I'm not saying Jay Cutler did 30 seconds, what, did he? Yeah, I, I don't know that either. And, you know, fast and high volume, I'm not knocking the train. I'm just saying I wouldn't do it because there's no way with what, and I'm not in any way saying he doesn't train hard. What I'm saying is I know how I train and there is no way that's going to happen. No way. I can't come off a set of dumbbell presses and be ready in 30 minutes, 30 seconds. In fact, if I'm going to do a drop set on my last set, I might wait 20 or 30 seconds in between with some deep breaths and go again. And I consider that an extension of the set, not another set. Yeah. 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 I would what consider about, 30 seconds rest kind of like a DC rest pause set. I mean, it, like it just about is. Really or a muscle round is. of some sort even, you know, with that yep. only, you know, 30 seconds. That's, yeah, I, I agree with you guys. That's way too short. What were you saying, Scott? I was going to say uh, one of the mistakes I've seen people make is when they're doing a unilateral movement, dumbbell row. They put that dumbbell down. And sometimes it's like mm -hmm. a client that I've had training with me at, at the home gym here. I don't even know they're doing it until we train together and they just go until they can't go any harder, you know, and they put that dumbbell down and immediately they start strapping up the other side. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, I consider that a, another set, right? hundred percent. Well, it's funny because, I, go ahead, go ahead, Andrew. Well, well I was going to say, you know, to counter that, what I like to do when I have training partners and we're doing single arm stuff like that is I like to do one partner does one side, then the other partner does the same side. I knew you were going to say side. that. That's what and, I like to do too. Yeah, I think that's a great way to do it because you're not giving that second arm or second limb the same uh, opportunity at effort as that first one. And that yeah, might be exactly. your shortcoming. If you're someone that always does right side first, left side second, because people are very, very particular with how they do their exercises and yeah. how they, you know, they just like, oh, I'll do my right side first, I do my left side or, or whatever. Maybe your left side's weaker and your right side's, you know, stronger. But point being is that that might be your shortcoming is that not from a strength standpoint, it's just that you're holding yourself back metabolically. Like you, you just don't have enough oxygen recycling yeah. you know, ATP in general yeah. for you to give a full effort on that next set. Yeah. And lunges is another fine example because as soon as you're done with one leg and it's shot, you're still using the other leg in the second half of that set yeah. for balance. And you're pulling as you fatigue against primarily erectus femoris of that back leg. We can say that we're not, but we are. So that to me is not bad, which is one of the reasons that I don't try that I don't like and rarely will train all reps on the left, all reps on the right. I alternate rep, rep, like left, right, left, right, or I don't do one arm things at one time. That's just something that, that I'm too OCD about. I feel that that offers or, or kind of has the potential for an imbalance more of an imbalance than going left to right. Once, when I go left to right and I know that one side is getting closer to failure, then I can gauge whether I'm, you know, how close I am. If I'm off by a couple, I'm never off by a couple reps. I was earlier in my lifting career, if you will, but that balance is there. And, and one of the things that stands out is uh, with imbalances is legs, because a lot of times we train isolateral on all other, much more on other muscle groups than we do on legs.
And yeah. like as an example, if you're ever to do alternating leg press as an example, now we have Bulgarian split squats and, and stuff like that. But that's only they've come up what in the last 10 years, even lunging, you would walk and lunge left, right, left, right. You would walk with dumbbells or out in the parking lot like Ronnie. But if you're in a Smith machine, then you're going to do one side before the other. Uh, or if you're just holding one dumbbell because you're not it, it, the point is, is the if you're doing an angle leg press or something like that, you're going to find out that your legs may not be as balanced from a strength standpoint as you thought they were. And you don't know that when you're squatting, leg pressing two two feet or two legs at the same time, hack squatting two legs at the same time, things like that. What about uh, Nevin's question? Should you always start with that weak side? I don't think it's bad. I would s- yeah, I would say generally I do, and I do encourage it. But then think of this, though, because a lot of times your weak side isn't just – it's not just muscularly weak. It's the connection from your brain to that muscle. So yeah, what you might want to do is lock in that feeling. Let's say your left side is weak, and you're doing a single arm lat pull-down, Skip's favorite exercise. And <laughs> you, you know your left side, you just can't feel that connection the same way. You might want to start with that right side and really lock in right where you want to feel it. So then you can, with your memory and your mind's eye or whatever you want to call it, transfer to that other side when you do that left side. It'd be breaking the rule of starting with your, you know, your weak side first. But again, a lot of the times it's activation is the issue, not muscular strength. It's a good point. All right. We've got a bunch of listener questions. I was just kind of looking through what we have. There was one related to chest training um where did that one go yeah. shoot i'm not seeing it offhand but you guys remember what it was it was something along the lines of um a week if you're if you have a weak chest let me see if i can pull it up i think i've got it it was something about muscle other muscles doing the work oh yes yeah yeah it was something along those lines sorry guys i'm not the most organized today apparently um, give me just a second here. Uh, so you got it. Uh, I thought I did. Um, here it is. It's from Dakota. He says, if you have trouble using mostly chest muscles to do chest exercises, does that mean you have bad chest genetics? And, uh, is that how it is for other body parts? I'm going to go and say Answer that not it just that. like you did before we hit the button, Andrew. <laughs> Answer no. it just like, because it's true. I can't even remember what I said now, because I'm just thinking of something else, though. But it's you answered what I said. Issue, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, a mechanics definitely. issue. It's not a ge- genetic issue. Per, I mean, it could be that your chest is weak from a genetic standpoint, but typically it's a mechanics issue. Yeah. What I was and, going to say is, because I'm thinking of these examples of, because I know I know a bunch of athletes that don't necessarily have quote unquote strong body parts, like in terms of muscular strength and the poundages on the bar. But yeah. when they hit a muscle, they, they hit they hit a shot. It's like, oh man, that's a dominant body part for you. You know what I'm yeah. saying? That's not always the rule, but I'm saying like I can think of some guys I know that you know can barely do 225 on a bench press or 100 pound dumbbells, but they're not lacking on any pec mass. And it, 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 you know, say nothing about activation or anything like that. I don't think it's necessarily always a correlation of strength and size of body part i'd go with that yeah yeah i I remember when i was a kid the the way things were looked at back 
back in like my dad's day of lifting. So we're talking like the eighties that there would be, uh, and, and I just, just talked to a client about this yesterday, like take Lee Haney. Okay. Lee Haney at the time was God. He was the best bodybuilder there was. And he had like the most incredible back. And it was generally accepted that Lee Haney had the back he had because he had great genetics. And if somebody didn't have as good of a back, it's because their genetics weren't as good. And that kind of trickled down to everybody. So if if this guy has good legs and this guy doesn't have good legs, it's because he didn't have good genetics for legs. And I think you nailed it, Skip, with with the whole the, the activation, the mechanics that I've come to realize that maybe, maybe I will never have, when I say maybe, there's a real big maybe in there. Maybe I'll never have a back like Lee Haney. Uh, but that said, I can definitely... I can, I've learned and I have learned how to get better activation to completely change the development that I got out of it. You know, you guys, I think saw my, my, my six month progression of, you know, like literally just changing the technique. I did nothing else with gear, nothing else with nothing different with food. And in six months, I feel like I made better progress than I ever had in any window previously. Mm -hmm. And you make a good point. Uh, I've got another example, and that is some people will end up very front delt dominant. Yeah, and that they'll was end me. up with a weak chest, and they say, "Well, it's because." And I think I've said it years ago. Well, the anterior delts are taking over. It does make it more difficult, and that's a half truth because it does make it more difficult because the based on the mechanics that you have used, incorrect mechanics for a long time. Your brain is wired to continue to use those mechanics and know, and you know what that feels like when you do. But it doesn't change the fact that your mechanics have been wrong for a long time. Yeah. So you have to remove, you have to change the mechanics of your chest work to be able to eliminate that we or that strong point in the front delt <clears throat> to be able to dig into the chest more and make the chest work harder. So yeah, I, I have the same uh, similar situation that you do, Scott, with uh, genetically, I have very, very weak delts. I mean, I, I literally to this day, it happened last week, you know, I see someone doing overhead presses who's a, you know, just a skinny string bean type kid. And they may be doing overhead presses with weights that, that close, very close to what I'm using or what okay. I can use. And that is frustrating to me, but it's always been that weakness where I have had to find ways to, like you said, activate and dig into that muscle more because I'm not going to overhead press ever in my lifetime, you know, 225 for three sets of eight to 10. It's just not going to happen for me. I think maybe I got to 205 for six or seven and that was 20 years ago. And quite frankly, my shoulders are arguably as good now as they were then when I was pushing that amount of weight. So you know, there comes the strength versus size connection, and you have to wonder how much of that plays into it. I would go with activation over big big weights any day. Yeah, yeah, and I uh, I, I noticed too that, like you said, you, you you end up with those stronger delts, and it's because of the way that you're actually doing the movement. It, it's not the delts fault, and now you're just reinforcing it with your technique. But even changing that technique, I found that. You know, if you have a strong muscle group, there's a potential in, as a newer guy, there's a good chance that a neighboring muscle group is going to be weaker. You know what I mean? Like I see guys that have incredible traps. You see the guy with the best traps in the gym, the average gym rat guy. He's just been training, not necessarily thinking about a ton of what he's doing. And that guy with great traps might not have good shoulders or 
the other way around. Well, you know usually what I mean? it doesn't because yeah. narrow clavicles will create typically a trap dominant physique. It's I called can the, see Gordy, the Gordy Howe physique where it slopes down, you know, fr from the neck. And that's a narrow clavicle, narrow shouldered look. Broad, very, very broad shoulders and wide clavicles. Rarely are you going to see incredibly dominant traps. And, it, and I think it goes with a lot of body parts. And then once that muscle gets so strong that, you know, the, the, the muscle that's doing the work that you, you're trying not to use, I just feel like our body wants to, it wants to make the job as easy as possible. Yes. You know what I mean? So it's going to lean into that strong muscle group. It takes a, it took me for my back, a lot of humility of lowering the weight and and had it not been for my home gym, maybe I would have never figured it out because mm -hmm. I went down to it. Like I try to think that I don't have an ego, but I really had to get rid of the ego to use the weights I was using to experiment with trying to change my technique, you know, which is easier to do in a home gym than it right. is in a gym. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. One other thing about, you know, it, it's almost a deterrent to be, to have a solid body part when you're young because what do you typically see when you're young and you're just starting out if you have a good body part and everyone's calm oh man your triceps are amazing you're more apt to train that body part oh you're yeah, less yeah. Apt, you're less apt to focus on those weaknesses especially if you're like you, you quote bodybuild but you don't really understand the sport of bodybuilding and, and developing a complete physique yet you just know like i like to lift i have a freak body part I'm going to keep hitting that freak body part to make it even freakier and keep getting the accolades before like social media, you know, like all of us probably trained in high school gyms or, you know, if we had enough money, we went to the local health club and started training and stuff. And, and we got like our, our likes quote unquote from our buddies when we did something that was more than what they could do. You know, for me, it was legs, squats, leg presses. So I gravitated towards leg training. You know, I could barely bench 135 even as a high school senior, but I could damn well squat four, four plates. You know, so of course, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to be all loaded up and excited for leg day, chest day, eh, you know, it's not getting the same enthusiasm going. So I think that plays a role into, you know, dominant body parts as well. Mm -hmm. I can see that. Uh, we have a bunch of listener questions. If you guys want to take part in the next show, we're going to need a bunch of listener questions. So definitely comment on YouTube and of course, continue commenting on Patreon. Uh, let me see what else we have here. Uh, Brandon Little, he says, um, uh, other than the cost and gas issues, um, what issues could arise from getting half of your daily protein requirements from whey? Um, this would be out of sheer convenience for work. Uh, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is, and I might be making this up, but I don't think whey has the same you know levels of vitamin B12 as your meats and, and your protein. Your, solid source proteins do hmm. so you could be you know somewhat deficient in that if you're relying too much on whey protein um, digestive issues you know a lot of times yeah. when people do more than two shakes a day they start to find digestive issues uh, pop up whether it's bloating gas um, i'm not going to call it a food allergy because it's probably wouldn't be defined as an allergy but more of like a food uh, sensitivity issue just yep. from using the same protein source over and over again yeah um, you know other things hunger you know, more times, more often than not, a protein shake isn't as uh, satisfying or satiating as, um, you know, a solid source protein. So in a dieting phase, you might want to be sticking with more solid source proteins. I know that, you know, I let my guys use more whey proteins 
um, you know, in the off season when like we're up into that five, six, six and a half thousand calories per day. And like, dude, I just can't get this eight ounces of chicken and okay. You know, throw two scoops of protein in and eat your carbs and fats for that meal. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. So it's kind of like, it's one of those things where you're like, okay, we know this phase isn't going to go on forever. This, this we'll call it a permable cause it's, it's not going on forever. We know that you're dieting right around the corner. We're doing something to regain your insulin sensitivity. So do what you got to do to get your macros in more or less, you know? For years, I have been I've been very big on protein powder, and I'm going to tell you why. Because <laughs> you asked when I first started, <laughs> you know, because I'm as old as your dad, Scott. What a what a sneaky little job that was. Uh, but training back in the '80s, I mean, Lee Haney was the king. You're absolutely right. But yeah, protein powder and and nutritional supplements, um, you know pretty much all of them have come a long way i mean the advances in in protein powder is is huge so for someone like me who's been around for a long time protein powder is significantly better now than it ever was in the 80s and even into the 90s and things like that um so i was always big on them i i I would say i would give my clients the room to go with a max of you know if you have to take in a protein drink up to three times a day and you have six meals. I'm cool with that as long as they're not back to back and you kind of, you alternate them. Cool. I was going to ask how, what was the max, you know, yeah, pro- but, or protein but I don't powder. like that. I'm beginning to get away from that rule a little bit. I'm cutting it back at least one with clients. And I have recently within the last six to eight months cut back to only one myself. And, and what's weird is they started to not taste good and I couldn't figure it out because I'm like, I've been, I've been drinking the same protein. My protein is awesome. It's always tastes great. But my body and or, and or my brain was basically telling me what I wasn't paying attention to. And as my the taste wasn't as pleasing and I started to cut them down and eat more solid food, distension, mm. inexplainable and random loose stools. I was going to say diarrhea, but, you know. I really couldn't, but that distension and that bloat and that gassy feeling, and I'm not saying gas like fart much, but just gassy. You sit down on the couch and the TV's not on yet and you hear, your fluids are moving through your your intestine. You're like, what's going on down there? This doesn't sound right. So cutback digestion did become a lot better. The distension went down. And I feel the same way you do, Andrew. I don't think it's necessarily an allergy, but I think it's a sensitivity to the point of, and I think if you have a sensitivity, it's an inflammatory. Yes. That's where the distension and the bloating and everything comes into play. And, you know, one of the main things, and I'm surprised that more people don't know this um, because I've had a lot of clients ask me, well, maybe I shouldn't be. Sometimes we know these things and you just think, oh yeah, this is just normal stuff. The large one of the main things that the large intestine does is it reabsorbs water from your digestive tract back into your system. So if you end up with diarrhea a lot, I should have said loose stools, but anyway, diarrhea, watery stools, that's an inefficient lower <coughs> or um, large intestine, lower GI. So and I noticed it because I was like, wow, on the days that I don't take in as much fluid, I don't have this problem. Oh, I must be drinking too much water. No, no, no. It's that that large intestine is not as efficient at pulling that water back out for whatever reason. So, which is the same thing or the opposite with constipation. 
and that is it can be you can either be low on fluids and dehydrated which is something for constipation but then i have to wonder when you take pain medications like vicodin and stuff like that after you get a tooth worked on or you have surgery they cause constipation that's not necessarily because of dehydration so what is that medication what impact is that medication on the large intestine's ability it's probably pulling too much fluid out of your digestive tract or out of your intestine and putting it back into the system and then you end up incredibly constipated well it also has to do with um uh, you know stopping the motility slowing down the motility like of the of the peristalsis gastroparesis or that kind of thing well do you want to because there is no way that anybody listening knows what that is or very few people i mean if you want to you know what i mean expound on it put it put it into like layman's terms or what i like to refer to as skip terms (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's you you have your transit time whereas you know the the from the minute food enters your mouth until it comes out the other end and most people when they're having normal bowel movements that's you know everyone has their own normal time they're all within the same you know frequency for the most part but um you know gastric motility is controlled by a number of factors, neurological, uh, you know, medications like we just talked about, uh, you know, different vitamins and minerals can affect that. Like magnesium, for instance, will help speed up gastric motility. Okay. Um, so there's, I think we talk about it with the opiates is that, yeah, it does pull some water, but it also, um, retards the, the, the peristalsis process. That's a nice use of the word retards. I, I thought about that for a minute. I'm like, how can I correctly <laughs> use this word today? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah All right. Retardation of the digestive tract. That's still well within the boundaries. We are allowed to do that. Correct. We can yes. do that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. As long as you can justify it. How about mm-hmm. this one? Um, so AAS use in body fat. What, um, what effect may you experience with somebody using AAS with higher body fat versus lower body fat, is there anything to be concerned about? Would a higher body fat require more gear uh, than, say, a lower body fat? Or is there is there any difference? That's what Ty wants to know. That's an interesting question because yeah. are, are they carrying more body fat because it's a genetic thing or are they carrying more body fat because they're in such a caloric surplus that they've done this to their physique? You know what I mean? Um I mean, I think uh, it, this one would be probably be a really good one for Scott Stevenson because because yeah. we I, I I can say I can only guess and kind of you know beat around the bush a little bit without saying concretely like what I think would happen. But I don't think that that someone who's fatter needs more PEDs to get the same effects in terms of muscular growth and whatnot. I'll, I'll say that, but I do think the higher body fat will have. I know it will have a more disproportionate effect on estrogenic activity yes. related to those compounds. Yes. So it's kind of like one of those, like, well, it's not a chicken and the egg conversation, but it's more, um, I guess it's a little more nuanced than that. If you guys get what I'm talking about, but yeah, like I think, will you see the dramatic effect in, in someone who is more obese? Will you see the same uh, dramatic anabolic effect in someone who's obese as you would in someone who is already very lean, no, visually you probably will not see that because they're holding more body fat and they are converting at a higher rate than someone who's already leaner. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I agree with you that it's a difficult question. That's why I was kind of like, hmm, let's see if Andrew takes this one first. And I wasn't <laughs> handing it off to you for that reason. But I don't know how to answer it because my initial response and opinion would be, shouldn't matter. Yeah. But I, I feel more comfortable leaving that for Scott too because there may be things that, you know, behind the scenes, like you said, it's I, it may be far more nuanced than I than I would think. Clearly there's a, you know, anytime you're carrying higher levels of body fat, there is likely to be higher levels of estrogen. But even with conversion, I don't know that that's making, you know, the, the anabolics any, any more or less, it's not changing the effectiveness of it. And I agree, you're not going to see the changes, but what are the, is there any impact on growing muscle if you have, you know, 30% body fat versus 10%? Um, insulin sensitivity, when you're carrying higher levels of body fat is almost certainly not going to be as good, uh, whether you're force feeding or you're, you're just carrying more body fat. And from a genetic standpoint, I think it's easy to argue that your system is not terribly efficient, or maybe it's actually incredibly efficient at storing food. But the point is, is metabolically, you're not in a great place. So my brain goes to insulin sensitivity and I would think that, okay, that would, explain yeah. if you're not as insulin sensitive that you're not going to be able to put on muscle as easily you are already your body wants to store added you know calories and stuff and shuttle them into body fat so because that's what it's been doing for a while i don't know it's a, it, that's a tough one that's a tough one well let me give a person or a, a potential example <laughs> let's say two college freshmen you know on the football team they start a cycle at the same time and one of them's 220 pounds, pretty lean. The other guy's an offensive lineman, already 300 pounds, a big boy, right? But carrying some body fat. You know, the, the, the smaller guy puts on 20 pounds of muscle, let's say, or, or 20 pounds in general over his first cycle, whereas the offensive lineman puts on 40 pounds, you know? Is it arguable that that offensive lineman put on more actual muscle in that cycle, or did he just put on more fat? You know, right. Without yeah. without doing the testing and without actually yeah. getting in there. I'm just saying like to throw out some examples because that's a real life example in case people didn't pick up on that um, from personal experience. <laughs> but like you get what I'm saying? Like because like if it's, it's just hard to say you're not going to see that that 40 pounds of muscle on the offensive lineman because he's a fat boy. He's a fat guy, but he's he's definitely larger now. Whereas with a smaller guy who is leaner, you're definitely going to be like, oh, dude, you got jacked. You know what I mean? So it's hard to it's hard to say without um, you know probably doing biopsies and doing body fat testing and, and all that stuff. How about this one? Um, we've got one of our listeners is in the military and uh, he's in the army. Nathan Scott, shout out to you, man, and, and thank you for your service. He says that um, he spends weeks at a time, uh, and and he asked this question a little bit differently on uh, it's just bodybuilding as well. He said he spends weeks at a time uh, living off of MREs and child side chise child size breakfast and dinner portions. Uh, what I typically do is pack tuna, protein bars, canned meat, and protein powder in my pack and live off that. However, that stuff takes up a lot of room and is heavy. My question is. Would there be any uh, adverse effects of living off of dehydrated steaks for four to six weeks? I tried it for a week and it didn't seem to be an issue. However, 30 days is a lot longer than seven. And then he adds his recipe because one of the things I was curious of was his sodium intake. 
And and we weren't sure about how he would measure it, but maybe he's got that sorted. He says, my recipe is simple. Eight to nine ounces of tip sirloin with seasoned salt and dehydrated for six hours. Um, this is much like the food I normally eat, seasoned the same way and the same weight. It's just in jerky form. Thanks for the advice. I'd say ideally it's not great, but he's not in an ideal situation. Yeah, so yeah. he he's stuck. And when you're in a in a situation like that, that's not ideal. You have to do the best that you can. Some things that come off the top of my head first. I, if you can dehydrate and you're still going to get the protein, okay, great. I don't know what the qual how the quality changes. I don't know if protein degrades or doesn't degrade. Maybe I should in dehydrated meats. Um, but you still have to be getting, you know, protein in there. And I would, if it were me, that's the route that I would go. A couple other things. He said he had tuna. If he's getting small portions for meals, I'd make real sure that the tuna I took was in oil. I'd try to take in excess calories unless uh, I was concerned about condition. Well, hold on though, because he's also doing but, MREs. He's also doing the MREs. And I don't know if you guys have seen those things, but like one MRE has like 2,400 calories. Yeah, oh, I didn't dense. know that. Okay. Yeah, like because I have I a client in a very similar situation, them. and they're they're not okay. like you know six to eight hundred calorie meals that they give them three a day. They're they're like twenty two, and they're like eighty percent fat and eighty percent carbs. But there are some of them that are higher protein. Because what I don't want to cut you off. I'll, I'll tell you what I do in a minute. But yep. but I just just no, well, out there, and honestly, that, that's that's a good point because I assumed based on what he was saying that his meals were very small and that he just wasn't getting enough calories. I also assume. Or have to assume that if he's in the field, there's a lot of physical work going on. And even yeah. when you mentioned salt, I'm like, it's probably not going to be chilly where he is. It may well be hot. So in, increased sodium intake is certainly not going to be a bad. It, it wouldn't be one of the first things that I would think of because I also assume that he's going to have plenty of fluid, um, that they're going to be equipped with enough you know, with fluids to be able to, um, you know, and that he doesn't out. end up with with ridiculously high sodium levels. So there's a lot of assumptions going into that because we have to, you know, we don't have all the information. But no, go ahead, take it, Andrew. Uh, so I've got a um, a guy that does this. Shout out to Garrett Edwards. He's in the army, and um, he uh, he has to go away for like these thirty month trainings at a time. And um, he, what he does is he tries to bargain with the other guys for the higher protein MREs. And I can't ah. remember which ones are the higher protein. I think the breakfast ones maybe, yeah. but the, like okay. they have eggs and like, you know, they have higher protein things in them. Whereas the general ones they give you are like, you know, the equivalent of two ounces of steak and then like a hundred grams of carbs from potato and then 80 grams of, of fats from some oil that they throw in there. Right. Mm -hmm. So not a balanced bodybuilding meal. You know, so what he does is he is he is he tries to bargain with his guys for their higher quality, higher protein MREs, brings as much protein powder as he can fit in his pack. Um, we don't do the beef jerky stuff or the the dehydrated meats, um, and and I'm kind of against that because a like if you're not dehydrating it properly, the risk for foodborne illness is pretty darn high. Oh no, like, kidding! Yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought about like it because I've never dehydrated meat. But man, it sounds like a, a fun idea. Honestly, you know. Yeah, I mean, if you're doing it, you want to make like sure I have that my fridge still. You know, I, I'm not going out in the field. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's um, yeah. The, the, it all comes down to water activity. So if you're not dehydrating all that water activity out, you're putting yourself in danger for some type of foodborne illness, which you're going to be stuck in the barracks all week on the toilet if if you do that and 
might as well not even go right um secondarily all the preservatives the nitrates in there you know there is a link with nitrates and cancer i don't think that doing a month or 50 days straight of three super high nitrate meals a day well he's making it himself yeah so so he's the salt he's using salt he said he's using salt in his normal season sodium nitrate yeah well, for people that are buying, because I, I did just quickly look up, there are a bunch of companies that do products like this that are more than just beef jerky. If you're okay. relying, if you're relying on a on a you know vendor to, to to provide this stuff for you, check out the preservatives that they use. Um, yeah, just because you know I wouldn't want to tell someone to go and eat this stuff, and then two years later they're like, I got cancer because yeah. they ate all this stuff, you know. Yeah. But um, what was the other thing? What else do we do? I think that's it. A lot of protein powder. Um, you know, try to bargain with the guys for the guys that aren't into exercise and training. Try to bargain with them for the higher pro- protein, higher quality meals. Um, yeah, that's about it. I uh, I watched a documentary documentary recently about the the history of the MRE and how it developed into what it is today. And yeah, they're they're so high calorie because it's supposed to be for you know to to supply you with everything you supposedly need. Obviously, not the the best for you though. I mean, I'm sure it's great if you are, you know, in an active situation, right? You know, and you're not getting back to home base for several days. You need something that has the highest amount of calories possible that doesn't weigh that much, right? I mean, it's you don't want your pack being bogged down. Tanya Miller says it's horrible. I think it's horrible that the government is not more concerned about muscle gains and maintaining muscle for body. (laughs) I mean. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> we had one over on Patreon about um, about getting cramps. He says, uh, Kyle, he says, um, after okay, after I train my quads, I get random cramps in both legs, often at the same time while walking. So I end up randomly limping, looking like a broken down 85 year old psychopath. Congrats where are the cramps? <laughs> What'd you where, say, Skip? Where are the cramps? I mean, are they in his foot? Are they in his calf? Are they in the quads? Uh, I'm guessing they're in the quads. You know, he's tra- they're probably in the muscle he's training, I think he's saying. Yeah. I know when I was younger, I would do what most people do when they're in high school. They'd get done training, and then they'd go play a game of pickup basketball. And every time I would jump, because I could jump for a white boy. And every time I would jump, of course, you know, my quads would lock and they would want to cramp and I couldn't figure it out. And sometimes it'd be after a leg workout, you know, that sort of thing. So um, I don't know the answer. This There's a lot of variables, but I, I mean, we can all agree that it's there's clearly an electrolyte issue there. So then you yeah. have to wonder if there's, you know, if the training is just so over the top and you're in you're depleting so much that I would wonder this when they're cramping. Take a look at the logbook and see if you're actually progressing mm. or if you're so depleted that you're either stable or you're regressing. Because if you're regressing, I think that the answer is right there in front of your face on the pages of the logbook. Um, if you're if you are progressing um, and you're still having these cramps, something somehow is causing that electrolyte imbalance and you have to find out what it is. And I can't. You know, if you guys have some guesses as what to look at, I don't know. I don't know what I would tell them. I mean, the obvious, the hydration, you know, the mineral content of the foods that you're eating, things like that. Um, but 
there's a lot of variables there. I'm going to just go ahead and say it's a cost of doing business. Like in a lot of cases, like, I mean, you guys tell me you haven't, if you train your back and you're trying to like wash your back later on that day, or you move your, your arm the wrong way, you, your yeah. back doesn't just spasm right up. Yeah. Or but, your pecs. But is it debilitating like, all the time though? Well, your, well, your legs are more debilitating being a larger muscle group. So like, it's going to affect you more. Like you're going to start to crumble if your, your, your quads start cramping. Cause I've been there the same way he yeah. has um, yeah. many, many times. Yeah. I, I, I guess I just wonder to what degree it is because I mean I can d- destroy legs too and I won't have that cramping. I mean I could be sore for four days and I won't have any type of cramping in my legs unless you know back in the day when I play basketball or something like that. Uh, but back is another one. You know even brachialis. You know you I'd go to you know Shay especially when I get depleted. I'm in a cut phase. I'm real lean. I go to Shay and even just holding the razor up there, I'll be like ah. And then I'm trying to finish, and I'm ah, two strokes, yeah, yeah. and I'm holding my hand. I'm trying to do it with the other one, and I am ambidextrous, so there is that. We but both of them totally at some point are going to be cramps. <laughs> but the fact that I'm very lean and I'm depleted and I'm getting those cramps, my brain already goes to the fact that bro, you're you're you got to take a closer look at the workload here because this shouldn't be happening consistently, versus if it's just happening intermittently, uh, you know, every now and then. Yeah. I wonder what his fluid intake is. I would start there. I mean, as simple yeah. as that is, fluid intake, maybe increase that. And, you know, there are so or many. Or it could just be too high. Products. There is that, too, in fairness. Yep. I mean, look, the higher, if all of a sudden people change from taking in three liters a day to two gallons, yep. you're going to be losing a lot of electrolytes that way. You're going to thin your blood of sodium, potassium. You're well, I was going just going to add, have, too, there's so many different electrolyte products. That was my second thing. There's so many I'm different sorry, electrolyte products on the market nowadays. You guys remember like five years ago, there were yep. no electrolytes available. Uh-huh. And now even at the grocery store, I go through the checkout line and they had like a, a, a an end cap with like three different, four different brands of a hundred different yep. flavors. And they're not all equal. You know what I mean? They're not all the same, but well, on, throwing something in there point, might not be. I would try that as an experiment. You know, if he's getting, say he's getting a gallon of water, I'd go to like a gallon and add a liter and, and make sure you take an electrolyte before you train just as an experiment and see what happens. You know, sure. yeah. Isn't it funny that Gatorade, like we'll call it, that's the first electrolyte and fluid product in its class, right? They invented a class of products, yeah. which was pretty much the, the leader other than Powerade for, I don't know, 30 years or something like that. Yeah. Isn't it funny that when you actually look up the, uh, the, 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 the electrolyte content on a Gatorade, it's like not anywhere near what you think it should be, for, for at least what I think it should be. It's very minuscule. It's, it's like, low. Yeah. I would need to drink like six of these and get like... 400 grams of sugar to get the amount of electrolytes that I want, which are in those packets that you're talking about now, Scott. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, really it's mainly sodium that's in there, right? There's very, yeah, there's not nearly enough magnesium or potassium. I think it's yeah. just sodium, potassium, magnesium. And sodium is like the one we usually don't have to worry about because we're getting yeah. that in our seasonings and our foods and all that, you know? Yeah. Another product you might want to try is uh 40,000 volts. That's kind of my go-to. Um, What's that? It's from trace minerals. It's super cheap. Um, you get it at vitamin shop You can get it on Amazon. It's just a, put a teaspoon or a tablespoon in your water and it's not as fancy. It doesn't taste as good as a, like the element packets or some of those other products that, that we were talking about. Um, it actually tastes like crap, but, um, but it's much cheaper. It's like 12 cents a serving or something like that versus $2 for a packet. So. Okay. True electrolytes is pretty inexpensive as well. I use it consistently these days and it was funny because I hadn't used it till about eight months, six, eight months ago. And my daughter asked me because she was going back to the gym, our youngest, 
She's like, yeah, you know, I'm going to, uh, can you get me some electrolytes, you know, for my, like, what do we need electrolytes for? Well, you know, I'm going to start working out and everything. So I want to get, and you know, she's my youngest daughter. So I, I got her some and I figured if I was going to pick up some for her, oh, I'll pick up some for myself. And Tanya makes a good point. Actually, she is hundred percent right. What's that? She says, don't ask me why I know this. You probably took um, nutritional biochem or advanced nutrition like I did. But Gatorade used to have the proper electrolyte balance and still does for the players on the field, but had to reduce it for what they sold to the Gen Pop because the taste was too uh, oh, you're kidding electrolyte-y. Me. No, that, that is true. They, wow. they, they, they wanted to make it taste sweeter. Uh, the sugar content to electrolyte content went up um, like, 40% or something like that. And she, she I was don't right like about the that. Taste. I don't like the flavor. I like, I like the taste of it. No, I, that's I like what I'm saying. Like, I don't like the flavor. You know? Making yeah. up words. I I'm like not, that. I'm it not buying good. that. I'm not buying that product. <laughs> you sound like a fat Karen that's like. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's a chick who's like 280. They need and, to lower the electrolytes and add sugar. But yeah, <laughs> but who di- orders a Diet Coke when she goes to the all-you-can-eat seafood buffet? Hey, yeah. I order a Diet Coke at the all-you-can-eat seafood buffet. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. It's different when we do it, though. It's different. Yeah. Yes. If I want to, if I want to ingest something that's sugary, I want it to taste good and actually have some substance to it. I, especially when we have options like Diet Coke. Yes, you know, that, that's how I feel. I'm like, I'm not filling up on a full sugar coke. Yeah. I'm going to fill up on food, yeah. calories from food, not calories from drinking. Exactly. Soda. What do you guys do to curb your appetite and avoid munchies while cutting weight? Me, nothing. Okay, thank you. Because I didn't want to be the guy who said, come on. And I I tell my clients, and I I would imagine you guys do too, but maybe maybe not Gen Pop clients, but I have this thing, and I'll go on record and say that I don't like the new trend of dieting where there's sugar-free jellos to take the edge off and things like that. I'm also not a fan of things like even Walden farms, sugar-free, especially that Walden farms. I don't let my clients, I'm like, I'm sorry. And they always say the same thing. Well, Matt Porter, I know. And Matt Porter was, was very, very good at what he did, but you're not working with Matt Porter. And, and it says on my forum, uh, no goes or uh, skip no goes, and it's there's a list of things that are an absolute no go. They're non negotiable, and just don't do it. When it comes down to it, if you want to get shredded, and this is just in bodybuilding, you just suck it up. You learn how to deal with the hunger, and you move on. You can eat when you're done with you know training or you're done competing, and deal with it then. Yeah, it's just one of those things because. I have found time and time again, you get one of those sugar-free jellos, you're going to rip through that. It's going to open the floodgates, and you're going to want to eat everything in sight. It's just mm-hmm. not going to – it's just not a good idea. Yeah. I'll give, I'll give a few things, though, that someone can do. Try doing, like, a warm tea, like a warm beverage like a tea or even that's coffee. I, yeah, that's what I yeah, do. I think, yeah, yeah. I, I stay away from coffee because – you know, or telling people to do coffee because they're probably already drinking coffees and bangs and doing clan yeah. and a whole bunch of other thermogenics. And, <laughs> yeah. So it's like, so it's like do a tea, which is going to have less caffeine in it or be decaffeinated. Um, go for a walk. You know, usually if you can just go for a walk and take your mind off of, oh, I want to eat this, that, or whatever, you know, or um, develop a hobby and just like, you know, when you're hungry, go out in the shed and do that hobby, whatever. I like it is. that. Like, yeah, dude, like it's honestly, I tell a lot of people to pick up a hobby when they're doing a prep because you're not going to be doing all the things that 
you would have otherwise done. Like, yes, you can go to family dinners and sit there with your, your chicken and vegetables or whatever, but you're not going to have the mindset or the energy or the desire to go do all the same things you might typically want to do in the off season. Right. Like, like you're not, if your friends are going to, um, an amusement park and you're four weeks out, you're at that point where you're like, yeah, I don't want to walk around in the sun all day and, you know, watch Mm -hmm. you guys eat all this stuff. And not that it's about the food or anything, but it's just, I don't want to be out for eight hours throughout the day. Like pick up a hot, something that you can just kind of internally focus on with yourself. And, um, you know, you're going to have a lot of time. So you'll probably get good at something. I have a bad habit when I cut. What's that? I spend money. I was good. I was wondering if you're going to say that you buy shit. I do. I, <laughs> you know what? Amazon, yes, but I buy things. And and oddly, I mean, I'll buy some things for me. Like I get on a kick. Like if I want a new pair of you know shoes to take my walk, I'll get seven different you know colors. And but more, I like to do two main things. I like to all of a sudden I like to cook. When the kids were at home, I would cook these awesome dinners because I could, in a sense be satisfied, not from a hunger standpoint, but I would get satisfaction out of watching other people enjoy what I, you know, my kids enjoy what I did for them and making these nice dinners. But the other thing is just buying things and spending money on people. It's, it's a satisfaction it, in some way. I'm sure it's feeding my brain. Yeah. What yeah, I may that. be missing when I'm, you know, depleted and hungry. I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure what it is, but like clockwork, I spend money. I buy bigger ticket items when I'm, cutting than i do at any other time yeah there's the we get dopamine from food you know and we get Mm -hmm. we definitely get dopamine from junk food and the snacks we like and if we're dieting and then you get to eat something like that's off plan some sort of snack you you, we all are getting that but i think when you're dieting you really really feel it you get dopamine from buying stuff and then here's the thing so you you create a void in yourself like you literally there's a void because you're not putting something in that you normally would be putting in and so you want to fill that with something else i think that the number one thing like both of you guys are like the number one point that you both made without saying the word is acceptance yep you know what i mean you have acceptance for your situation and that's just the way it's going to be and you remind yourself like well not just that but if i were to go off plan then I'm probably going to be in the exact same position an hour later. It's not like it's going to change anything. And Mm -hmm. I'll also be further away from my goal, which is the reason I'm doing this to begin with, you know? And you'll be carrying some shame now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, cause how many times have you gotten an email from somebody who's like, Hey coach, like I didn't really want to tell you this, but yeah, I cheated. I fucked up. I did this. I did that. Mm -hmm. And led to a whole weekend of doing this. And so that's why I'm up six pounds and I know we lost a week. Is there anything I can do to make up that lost ground? That kind of thing. You know? Yeah. And what's the answer? Get back on the same plan and do what you're doing. And 95% of it will fall off. And if you do it again, then I'll be pissed. But at least yeah. right now you're beating yourself up more than I'm going to be able to beat you up. Yeah. So it is what it is. When you alter, this is my experience. When you alter the plan, to make it convenient for these hiccups, mm-hmm. those hiccups will continue. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Make them ride with the same program. And it's not, <clears throat> I'm not saying from a, <clears throat> excuse me, a punitive standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, proving it. But if you start accommodating that stuff, then it's going to reoccur. Guaranteed. Mm-hmm. You're taking away also part of that, I think, is you're taking away the repercussions for having huh? and that'll only last for so long. And that's right. that's basically what binging and purging is, you know, that's right. Very good point. 
You can only it's do also that changing, for so long. It's also st- changing your strategy as a coach. Absolutely. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yep. you're reacting <laughs> instead of keeping exactly. everything. Yeah. Everything and I mean, we're already, we're already reacting as it is, but you're just adding like a heightened, you know, to the nth degree of that. And, and, and the, the athlete might not even know you might've been planning for that next check-in. I'm going to add a refeed in, or I'm going to add a yeah. cheat meal in. Right. But yeah. they did it before. Cause you wanted to see the information based off of what they were going to check in with that day had they not cheated. So it, it changes your mindset on things, you know, changes. And it also changes your faith in them a little bit, especially if it happens more than once. Right. Yeah. It's a reprogramming. I don't want to go, you know, go on and yeah. beat this topic like a dead horse, but when you are dieting over the long term, whether it be a prep or a cut phase or you're making a transformation, whatever you, you really do your, your main focus isn't really just the diet and I think it's it's more about reprogramming the brain to accept that I'm not going to get this like I can't rely on food as as a satisfaction or yeah. a how do I say like a not a luxury but like a like a reward I guess mm-hmm. yeah and that can really I think it's why because I've been doing this for a long time we all have been doing it for a long time but in my early days you know I'd eat something and you do you have that guilt and that chance and. And, and then I'd ask myself, well, why do I keep doing it? But you do it until you realize that even if you're really hungry, the satisfaction you're going to get from that food in the moment is not going to be better than the guilt that you feel when you are all done and you're relatively satiated mm-hmm. and then you're going to beat the hell out of yourself. So I try to remind clients, how did you feel last time? Yeah. Remind yourself of how you felt, reprogram your brain and find Andrew, you made really good points too. I think we all did about finding something else to get satisfaction from instead of relying upon food for that satisfaction. Within the law, of course, within the law. As you eat. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You got to find satisfaction some way else. I'll admit because people say, oh, you don't have any, you don't drink, you don't. Yeah, I do. I have nicotine. Now, for most people, they may think, oh, that's not their thing. Everybody's got their thing. Well, I buy shit and I have naked. There are things that I do that accommodate for, I'm covering my mouth so nobody sees all the food in my mouth. Um, there's things that we all do to some degree to help take the edge off, to give us something else to focus on that is even mildly rewarding. But it doesn't go counter to your goals, to, to your right. physique yes. goals. And mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. How about this one from Cody on uh, Patreon, I believe this was. He says, um, thoughts on competing annually versus competing versus competing every couple of years. He said, I've heard Palembo talk about this. And he says, not getting too far away from the stage conditioning, uh, retaining the ability to get lean. And I've also heard other opinions, more time in the offseason to grow and progress. So it really could go either way. What do you guys think? How much is it? What's an optimal amount of time? Completely depends on the athlete. Are you someone that placed third place at nationals last year? And, you know, we just got to be, we're next in line. Or did you get fifth place at your local show in a novice class? You know, the in the, in the latter example, it, you probably need two to three years before you're going to be competitive, you know, even for that novice first place. So it would behoove you to get on stage again the following season. Whereas the nationals guy, you know, you're fresh in the judges' minds. 
you got third place, you're one spot or two spots away from a pro card. They like you, you're almost there. Maybe it was a conditioning thing. Maybe it was a peaking thing. So it would behoove you not to get back on stage again um, the following season. I used to be completely against competing too often. And I'm not like, you know, hugely for it now, but I'm not completely against it. And the reason is if you're not genetically gifted, I think that cutting down and being lean will offer you more opportunities than gr to grow. This is if you have very mediocre genetics and you're not genetically gifted. It will give you more opportunities to grow because I think that the average person after six, eight, nine months, maybe arguably 12, but still six, eight, nine months, you're not going to do as much growing because of the loss of insulin sensitivity and things like that. Those minor things when someone is not as gifted or those shorter amounts of time don't provide the payoff like they do when you are genetically gifted and you go, you know, two years and you grow like crazy. I have found myself that my best gains are going to be within the first six months after I've been lean. After that, I can still gain and I can progress, but it's not going to be. And this isn't just now. So if anybody's saying, man, you're really old, you, you know, you're in your 50s, you're not gaining much anyway, old man. Fair enough. But I'm still progressing. If I go back 20 years, it's still the same thing, that short amount of time. So if I competed annually, that did help me where I used to think, man, maybe this is taken away. Maybe I should sit out for another year and do and I did that a couple of times and my progress really wasn't any better. And I've seen this with clients as well. I think there's a genetic component there that if you are gifted, yes, you can probably go longer and continue to grow. I think a lot of people benefit quite a bit from having to get lean once a year. Hmm. What say you, Scott? I can see I, I'm with you, Andrew, what you initially said. You know, if, if you're right there, then then why not? I, I kind of... I split it at times. I think that my sweet spot was about 18 months. So I would take an entire year to grow. And and sometimes it'd look like this. So let's say I did a spring show, okay? Then I might do a fall show, like the very end of the season, the, the, the following year. Uh, mm -hmm. That would give me a chance to grow and, you know, have almost a full year of off season. Because there was something for me about getting back in shape and I, and I think that if I took the diet slow, I could still make really good progress. In fact, I felt like even more plugged in, I'm going to be completely honest, the show would motivate me to be my best in the gym and motivate me to be the best on my diet. And so if I knew like, hey, I only have this 18 months, you know, I know that I can break that down and say, okay, so by here, I'm going to be dieting again. I better kill this now. You know what I mean? Versus the times I did take longer, it was easier to kind of coast a little bit. And I and I see that with people. So I think it depends on the individual. Are you going to feel the fire under you if you have a three-year window, you know? And if you don't, I mean, maybe that's just who you are and you weren't meant to get where you're going anyway if you really needed to make that much progress. Or heck, maybe you're younger and you're not going to you're not going to get where you want to be in three years. But you have enough time that maybe you'll be there in seven you know, mm -hmm. and if you love the sport and that's what you're comfortable with, then it, like you said, I think it's, it really comes down to the individual. Yeah. And how do you handle dieting? I mean, are you good with, because someone who's yeah. not very good at prepping 
uh, you're going to gain that experience and kind of hardwire your brain to be able to get into prep mode and be more efficient and, and not acceptable, but tolerate it much better versus if you're doing it every two to three years as well. There's a lot of variables. We're just, I think, you know, yeah. from to the listeners, we're just throwing out different, you know, variables and things to consider because there is no black and white answer to this, I don't think. And, you know, to your to your comment, Andrew, absolutely. If you're battling for a pro car, different game. Yeah. Vast majority of the listeners, even at least two of the the hosts on the show today, we ain't battling for a pro <laughs> car <anytime> soon. <laughs> so let's put some so I kind of gave my my rundown of how I did things, like I said, about 18 months, and there were times I did two years. But how about you, Andrew? What what was your phases, say you know, earlier on when you, once you started competing and you're like, Hey, I want to keep getting good at this before you were knocking at the door type thing. Uh, you know, where were you? So I did, you know, uh, three shows in the early two thousands. And then I took a full eight and a half, nine years off because I knew from my height, like I was always going to be peeled because I, you know, conditioning was never an issue early on. I was always the most conditioned guy in the shows. I got compliments for that. But I also, if I turned sideways, it's like, whoa, where'd Andrew go? You know? Mm. So it's like, I just didn't have the size or the thickness. And um, so I was like, okay, I'm not, and this is one of the main reasons why I hooked up with Dante because he was turning guys into freaks, right? Yeah. He was taking guys from 200 pounds and turning them into 260 pound monsters within a year or two um, with his principles. And so I just knew like, okay, I need to do something like that and not think about getting back on stage until I'm at least a very top end heavyweight, if not a super heavyweight. And that's what I did. You know, I came back in 2014, got on stage at, um, 224 and a quarter. I couldn't, mm. I couldn't go over the, I, I couldn't weigh enough to be 225 or 224 and a half to, or whatever it is to, uh, to make the supers, but whatever. Um, but then the following year I was a super and never looked back. So Getting with the competing though, and I want to offer this as a solution too, because you know we have a lot of guy, a lot of listeners who are, we'll say, in their later stages of bodybuilding. They're not necessarily young bucks, and they want to do things healthy, but they still want to compete. Yeah, and this is a strategy I use for a long time. Is you know in the off season, I really didn't use PEDs. I was a 300, 300 guy, you know, 300 tests, 300 primo or 300 mast. And then come contest season, that's when I felt like I did all my growing was, you know, cause I layered in multiple compounds and I did a full blown cycle. I think that might be a strategy for someone that does have that mindset. Like, Oh, I want to compete every single year. I want to compete every season. Mm. Um, you know, to, to maintain their health and to try to do things as safely as possible. Because if you're someone that's trying to do, big contest cycles. And then, you know, shortly after that big off season cycles, and then right after that, another big contest cycle, you're going to find that your health is going to get pretty deleterious pretty fast. So I think you can only do that so long. Yeah. I mean, and and we all know guys that would go right from an off season cycle and not even take a cruise or or a bridge cycle or anything. They would literally just change the compounds up 20 weeks out and start with Hartners and go into the contest. And those are the guys that unfortunately like, and I'm not just trying to say this to, as a scare tactic, but the, a lot of these guys, they get burnt out and they end up having kidney problems or they end up having blood pressure problems to the point where, you know, they don't reach their potential or anywhere near the potential they were supposed to meet in the IFBB or NPC. Agreed. Hey, I, got, I was going uh, to say that during that eight years, you weren't just on 300, 300, were you? It's very And I only asked because the <laughs> listeners are like, no, no, that's a great, that's a great question. I will say this. There was a good 
two or three years where I wasn't taking anything. And really? I was literally just, I don't even know why, you know, it was, um, I mean, I, for one thing, I wasn't as connected as I, you know, you know, am now, but I, I think I really took that time to dive into training technique, nutrition technique, because um, I tried a lot of different variations of diets at that time. I guess you could say that's when my education as a bodybuilder really happened, you know, because hmm. when you take the PEDs out of it, I could really just focus on the variables that I could control, such as training, diet, rest, um, those types of things. And um, but then, you know, there was a point where I'm like, OK, I think I've done everything I can quote unquote, somewhat naturally at this point. And I, yeah, absolutely. But even then the cycles weren't, you know, they weren't like crazy, you know, we're talking 500 tests, 500 DECA or 500 EQ, and then maybe some Anavar or something thrown in. They progressively got bigger and bigger as I learned that I needed more and more to, right. to progress in the gym and progress in body weight. Yeah. Hey, I got one more segment for us. I want to try to make this a regular thing. I'm putting you on the spot, Skip. I mentioned this weeks ago. But I'm going to put you on the spot here. We, you are a man who appreciates a good vocabulary, and and you're educating everybody with uh, bodybuilding stuff. Let's let's get some education with vocab too. Can you think of? I didn't ask. I didn't ask. Skip this before the show, guys. Can you think of a vocab word of the day for us? Well, notice yeah, I, I said it for a long. I talked for a long time to try to give you time to to think too. Typically, I'm an I'm an adjective guy. I think there are a lot of really good adjectives out there that can really help juice up someone's vocabulary. But you also have to be careful that if you're going to use A-list words, you got to know what they mean. Because if you got a B-list vocabulary, don't be trying to use A-list words. <laughs> uh, let's see. One came up the other day that, and this is off the top of my head. I am not a side eye guy. Okay, the modern version is, oh, they're looking at you. She's looking at you side. I know she's looking at you asconce. Asconce. Yes. And I would know what you meant by that, too, even yeah, though it's like, not a word like I'm if, familiar with. If you're sitting there and it's with. the pretty girl next to you and you're kind of looking at her like like with contempt, you're not giving them a side eye. You're looking at them asconce. So you can say side eye and you can be kind of hip or you can have a better vocabulary and say, quit looking at me asconce, fucking bitch. <laughs> and she's going to be equally she's going to know but she's going to probably have to google it be like oh okay well she meant side eye but whatever i wasn't looking at her like that nice. now that see i have to be careful too because some people go well that's not a very yeah i don't know that it's a fancy word but i think it's a word that doesn't get used very very often you don't yeah. hear in everyday vocabulary and i like words like that when i hear somebody say something and i'm i give i take my own advice I don't usually speak to people and try to impress them with words, but I do like knowing what they mean when I hear them on TV shows or I hear someone else say them. And I am very, very impressed with people who have a very broad vocabulary. If I hear a woman say something that is, they clearly have a very broad vocabulary. I'm like, Oh, she's <laughs> is this a fetish for you? Skip? And she, can, <laughs> it, I think what it is, is it's kind of like, you know how some people find find other people attractive based on things that aren't physical. Sure. And to me, that just says, "Oh man, you've got a great vocabulary." Or when people write with uh, incredibly great syntax and stuff, that to me just says, "You know what? That person's intelligent." It is kind of a I don't want to say it's a turn on, but it's it's impressive. It impresses me, I guess. 
All right. Well, listen, um, <laughs> I'm not even going to read whatever Andrew wrote there. I'm going to keep moving on. <laughs> we, we were texting anyways, guys. Uh, but listen, we appreciate everybody tuning in. We're going to need questions for the next show. So definitely comment below and uh, reach out to all of us for coaching. You can go to teamskip.com. You can go to bodybarrett.com. You can go to McNallyDiets at gmail.com. And of course, check out our sponsors, truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK, supplementsource.ca uh, for all our Canadian people. And thank you to everybody from Patreon. Guys, we will see you soon.